We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Greg Olson, here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual-threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. What is up? Welcome to the uncontested podcast postseason postgame episode reacting to game one of the Thunder vs. Rockets. I am your host for the evening, Jacob Niffin. I am joined by my buddy Taylor Peterson. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. If you need me, I'll be uh, crying in the corner for the Pretty applicable. Of the postgame podcast before we dive into our game one analysis of the thunders beat down losing 123 108 to the houston uh, rockets the rockets beat down let me correct you. yeah well the thunder got beat down uh, <laughs> phrasing phrasing man <laughs> want to tell you guys that we are a proud partner of the blue wire podcast network we are also the official podcast of boomtownhoops.com who just dropped an awesome game one reaction periscope video on social media it will also be up on the website so make sure to check that out as well taylor and i are here 
to try to walk you Thunder fans off the ledge after game one. Taylor, I'm going to start off by telling you there is something worse than the Thunder losing game one today. Do it, and, friends. Just, and, just, and just jump. That Get is, <laughs> I got a ticket from a cop today. Oh, no. So you've had a heck of a day. So let me tell you about this ticket. Oh, boy. The cop turns his lights on behind me, and I was like, what the hell? So I pull over. Dude rolls up. No mask. I put my mask on of my course, car whenever of he walked he up. Of course right. So I, uh, I'm sitting there. He walks up. He says, hey, you know your tag's expired. Oh, my god! And I was like, nope, they didn't know that. I don't typically check my tag. Taylor, my tag expired in September of 2019. <laughs> For those of you playing at home, it's almost September 2020. Okay, that's fair. So you deserve the ticket. Is what I'm I, haven't, I haven't had a, 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 an a applicable tag for my car for 12 months. Okay. I thought you were going to say he was being like a you-know-what and like your tag expired like two days ago. No, nope. uh, <laughs> 11 months, 11 and a half months ago, my tag expired. That's and you funny. get charged uh, like a fee for every month it's over. So I'm going to have oh. to get a small loan of a million dollars to pay this goddamn <laughs> tag off. I am so screwed. Well, okay. So uh, just, a, I mean, because we have nothing better to talk about, right? Uh, <laughs> So I just a little side note, rabbit hole here. Um, my boss, my or sorry, my old boss that I used to work for, um, still a really good friend, really close friend of mine. Uh, we still talk almost daily. But um, anyways, he has like a recreational type vehicle. He has a Jeep, right? And that's not his main car that he drives every day. So he was out, uh, not this past spring, but the spring before, you know, the spring before COVID hit and was out in his Jeep top down nice weather out super excited him and his dad i think are going through like a fast food drive through or something after like a day out um you know enjoying the weather and then they they pull out in the street and he gets pulled over for the same exact reason but his was like even more recent and the reason i bring this up to you is because he actually said that or he actually got like they they took his his jeep um and like they wherever you take it like um, impounded it they they impounded it holy crap yeah uh, they didn't do that to me yeah it was it was wild so could have been worse. Yep. Yeah. Well, just like this Thunder game. Yeah, I'm gonna have to pay a lot of money. So, let's dive into this game, Taylor. So we're gonna divide this podcast into two segments. We got to get the ugly out first, so we can talk positives and get you guys off the ledge. Because I love Game One NBA playoff overreactions. Uh, in just three short hours, every Thunder fan has decided that Shea Gilgis Alexander <laughs> sucks. This team is awful. Why are we? Why did we basketball? trade Russ? Yeah, all of this stuff. Um, It's just game one. But, Taylor, we have to start off talking about the bad stuff because we want to end on a good note. So, instant reaction, Taylor. What went wrong? I know it's a list. I know it's a laundry list. But give me me some of the big stuff. What went wrong? Well, I'll just say this right off. I I think the first thing that stood out to me was what happened right out of the gate. Um, the Thunder just looked like they had, and this just sounds, this sounds ridiculous, but I think it's accurate. Thunder just kind of seemed like they had the playoff jitters. Uh, they came out, turnovers, um, fouling on defense. Now, granted, the Rockets weren't a whole lot better to begin the first quarter um, for those first however many minutes. But yeah, the first eight said, minutes, it was pretty competitive. It was just it, it very, again, very aggressive, but I'm not sure it was great basketball being played by either team. Would you agree with that? Yes, definitely. Well, then the issue is... Um, the Rockets started hitting shots, and it wasn't James Harden. It was everybody around him. And then from there, the Thunder weren't able to generate any kind of offense, and a lot of that stemmed from the fact they were just stagnant. You heard Jeff Van Gundy say this on, on the broadcast, but as much as I love Jeff, 
or as Stan, <laughs> Jeff, as much as I love Stan, um, I mean, it was very obvious. I, I, I mean, nobody was moving. Um, it was very much your turn, my turn, just trying to create whatever would happen. Gallo had a little bit of success because he was strong enough to be able to kind of go through those defenders and be able to draw fouls. But CP3 looked terrible. He was turning the ball away when he would uh, when he would do that, throwing the ball away. Shea wasn't even looking to drive, which is a much bigger topic we'll dive into here soon. And then Shooter came in actually pretty early. Um and correct me if I'm wrong, because this happened right after the Steven injury, but I believe he was like the first, he was the first sub off the bench. And uh, um, Billy actually went with the three point guard lineup much sooner than he usually does. Yeah. And even then, it didn't really help. So then finally, you have a little bit of resurgence in the second quarter, but all about to say, it was just a little too late. Um, I, I, all that to say, I think the Thunder really started off <laughs> poorly to begin with, and that just kind of set the tone for the rest of the game. I would agree with that, uh, especially defensively. Let's be. Let's call a spade a spade. The Thunder played bad on both sides of the ball today. Uh, defensively, some of it was just Houston made open shots. And at a certain point in time, I don't care who Houston is playing, they're going to get open looks. Uh, that's just the way their offense works. That's the way the small ball works. And so they got open looks, and they knocked them down. At one point in time on the TNT broadcast, they showed that Houston made 33% of their threes in the bubble but made 45% tonight. Right. Right. So they were just, I mean, everyone was hitting Gordon. Eric Gordon looked like an all-star. Um, Jeff Green looked like he was worthy of a top 10 pick. Uh, ben McLemore was just playing out of his mind. The Rockets, take no credit away from them. They played well. The Thunder offensively, like you mentioned, stagnant. Poor, no ball movement, no player movement, a lot of standing around. And I think a big culprit of that was Dennis Schroeder. I think Dennis Schroeder played horrendous Agreed. tonight, like absolutely awful. And I, I watched. You've said this before, though, Jacob. And let's just let's. I mean, again, he's been gone, and that's. I think that's a huge part of this. I really do. Um, it completely took him out of rhythm, and he didn't have those full eight games. The team didn't have the full eight games with him to kind of get back into that rhythm. And that's where a lot of this stems from. This this team looks like they did in October. Um, much less the team that we saw at the end of March, which is understandable. Yeah. It worries me because there was excuses in the bubble. And now that we have everybody back, it still kind of looks like that. But all that to say that you've said this since from the beginning of the season, you know, when Shooter's playing his best basketball, this team is just humming. I mean, they're almost unstoppable. But he becomes a ball stopper. And that's what he, you're getting Yeah, at. he was a ball stopper tonight. And he was very indecisive. Like there was one possession where he got the ball and literally just stood in one place, barely moved his feet and dribbled for about eight seconds and then pulled up an air ball three. There was another possession when the Thunder were kind of making a little mini run there in the fourth and got it down to like 10 or 11 where the ball got swung to Schroeder. The guy guarding him was, I think it was Harden, guarding him five or six feet off of him. Schroeder caught the ball and just kind of like half-assed pump faked and didn't do anything and just stood there and let like five seconds run off the shot clock before he did anything and started dribbling. And I was just like, this this is why the offense is stagnant. Whenever the ball swings to you, you shoot, dribble, or pass within one second of whenever you catch the ball. And he didn't do any of those three. He just, he seemed very uncharacteristically bad tonight. I know a lot of Thunder players did. Uh, Chris Paul wasn't nearly his efficient self. Uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander wasn't good at all tonight. Oh, that Chick-fil-A, <laughs> Chick-fil-A. just tried to come up on a burp. Ugh. So uh, to your point, and uh, I agree with you on Schroeder. Um, I agree with you on Chris. And like I said earlier, SJA is probably his own 
entire topic. But those three players, uh, three of the best and most important players for this entire Thunder team, uh, I would argue three of the guys that this team kind of really has revolved around this season. Um, shot a combined, if I'm doing my math correctly here, super quickly, uh, 12 of 36. <laughs> uh, shooter was 3 of 12. Chris Paul was 7 of 14, which actually he turned it around there in the fourth quarter. and uh, That's 10 of shooting. 26. Oh, uh, wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so even what, worse, even worse. Well, but then Shea, uh, 2 of 8. So, oh, okay, there you go. Um, just pretty bad all around. But I, I, I agree with you on Shooter. He definitely seemed out of sorts, out of rhythm. But I think you have to give credit to the Houston defense, right? This is something I found really interesting. It stood out to me immediately. I thought they were playing zone defense. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, they were also playing man-to-man. I, I thought it was a combination of both. And I thought that was really smart on D'Antoni's part because um, he had, had obviously done his research and had realized that the Thunder have not played well with zone throughout the season, right? Um, that really, for a, a team who really relies on that mid-range, uh, it takes that away from them and kind of gets them all out of sorts. And I kind of thought that was what was going on, you know, combining that with switching it up with uh, man-to-man defense and throwing different looks at them. However, after the game, D'Antoni actually had a quote that I found really interesting, and he talked about how their man-to-man defense is sometimes designed to look like a zone. So maybe they weren't playing zone as much as they like almost set up in a zone defense, and then as soon as the ball's passed, they kind of swarm you and play man-to-man. I thought that was fascinating, and it 100% threw the thunder off of their game. Um, something that, and maybe this is a different topic even, Jacob, so feel free to kind of jump in on this last part. Billy... Uh, Chris Paul, Steven, Gallo, they all mentioned pace of play. And I wonder if that, that Houston defense kind of had a played a part in that. They kind of controlled the game. Yeah, definitely. The the man-to-man, the switching, I think, really hurt Oklahoma City. Gallo talked post-game about if Houston's going to switch like that, they have to punish them down low. Everyone talked about, like you said, pace of play, moving quicker, getting the ball up the floor quicker, letting guys like Shea and Dennis attack, which I think is obviously a very good plan. Chris Paul makes his money on getting in a pick and roll, forcing a switch and attacking a big. And Houston just doesn't do that. Right. Right? They they switch everything so you don't get that mismatch and that, big? that soft Never spot. Never heard of her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't get that soft spot in that 18 to 22 foot range where Chris loves to operate at. So as simple as this sounds, Taylor, I think the game two adjustment is play better. I mean, yeah, no, absolutely. That I, sounds so stupid. That's such a no shit comment. But and people want to know, like, you know, intric- intricacies, like, oh, they have to to guard this and, and, and change up the way they defend and do this little cute thing. No, you just got to play better, right? Defensively, what happened to this team is they allowed dribble penetration. So somebody would have to rotate over and contest at the rim, which Billy which really then left, harped on post game. Yeah, left shooters open. They would drive, they would kick. Thunder players would scramble. They'd, they'd swing the ball one or two times and end up at an open shooter. The way you combat that, because whenever you, they can space out like that, it is so hard to keep an NBA player in front of you. I don't care how good of a defender you are, you're going to get beat. And so you have right. to have that help defense come over. What then has to be incredibly spot on is the rotations on the backside. Whenever somebody on the weak side rotates over because uh, the guy guarding the ball gets beat off the dribble, the guy on the elbow has to rotate to the corner. The guy at the top has to rotate to the elbow. Uh, the guy that came over to recover to help has to rotate back out to another shooter. There has to be massive hustle and even better communication to catch back up and get back in front of the ball when that happens to help and then recover. And the Thunder just didn't do that tonight. That's that's absolutely spot on. And to your point, just to elaborate on that, 
how many backdoor passes did we see from the corner? Because yeah, like, exactly. that, that, wing, that, that offside wing didn't drop down to the block, right? That's fundamental basketball that we learned back in elementary school. Um, how many times did we see the, the open shooter after, like you said, um, a Thunder defender got beat off the first dribble, off that first step, and then it led to a wide open three for Houston? Now, to that point, I think you mentioned this before we started recording, Jacob. Uh, Thunder players not named James Harden or sorry, Thunder players, um, Houston players, not named James Harden, like, we're shot like what, what'd you say, 33% from three um, during the bubble seeding games? And we kind of saw that in the second half, right? It, it, they, they very much cooled off, although at that point it was much too late. So my thing is, continue to focus on James Harden, because especially when Russ is out, because those guys, I mean, you're going to have to have Eric Gordon just go wild again. You're going to have to have Jeff freaking Green, who's... 40 plus years old, not really, but it seems like it, <laughs> you know, go crazy and produce for you, especially when you don't have Russell Westbrook out there. Now the issue and another negative is the fact that Russ wasn't there and Houston got this win Yeah, because I don't think Russ is going to be out very long. So here are stat lines from Houston. Jeff Green, 22 points on eight of 12 shooting, six rebounds, four assists. Ben McLemore, 14 points on five of eight shooting. Um, Eric Gordon, 21 points on 7 of 17 shooting, 3 rebounds, 4 assists, 5 of 5 from the free throw line. Um, P.J. Tucker, 11 points on 4 of 9 shooting. Daniel House, 9 points on 4 of 8 shooting. The only guys that did not play good for Houston tonight, Robert Covington, 3 points on 1 of 6, and Austin Rivers, 4 points on 1 of 5. So I uh, don't think you can expect Jeff Green, Ben McLemore, uh, and Eric Gordon to combine for, what is that, 43, 50, 55 points in a game. So I was doing the same thing, but without Gordon, um, saying that Green and McLemore had 36, right? And meanwhile, the Thunder bench had 12, 14, 21, 27 points. <laughs> they yeah. were outscored by two guys. I, I don't think that's going to be the case moving now, forward. speaking of that, though, something else that is a little interesting, it just, Billy very much came into this game trying to get a feel for things where D'Antoni very much had his game plan. And what I mean by that is we see 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. So we have uh, 13 guys that played today in the Thunder rotation. Where D'Antoni, I was looking at that box score, and I don't even have it pulled up now, but it was like, oh, okay, he, he ended up playing quite a few. But regardless, I mean, a bu- a three bunch of those, those trash guys got minutes, two though. minutes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So you end up playing, you know, seven or eight players, uh, essentially. And I think Billy was very much looking for the right lineup, and was continuing to try and rotate guys in and out, and he was not able to find that. Um, something I found interesting, and something I didn't see a post-game quote on, I was thinking that reporters might ask this, but Adel Nader, we did not see him at all. And what's really interesting about that, you know, it, like we, t- we talked about Hami having a great bubble, so maybe if uh, Hami continued that great play, we wouldn't be so surprised right now. But Hami looked lost out there. You guys know how much I, I've loved Hami in the past, but um, this season particularly, and then I think these playoffs, uh, or this first game of the playoffs, really just shows he's athletic, he can make things happen, he's he's right, he, he's a great player in the right situations, but he just looked lost defensively. Um, they weren't respecting him at all offensively, which just completely killed the offense, speaking of motion and open shots, and all that to say, I was shocked to not see Nader get out there. Do you think that elbow's still bothering him, Jacob? That's an interesting question. We'll we'll dive into that here in a little bit, but I the Nader Homie stuff is fascinating to me. Yeah. It is fascinating, uh, especially after game one. Billy Donovan is not a gut reaction guy. Right. He's gonna stick to his game plan uh and push forward, but it's gonna be interesting to see what game two brings along. So 
Taylor, before we transition to the second half of the podcast, start looking at some of the positives, uh, just real quick, what was your biggest disappointment from the night? My biggest disappointment was probably most of Thunder fans' disappointment, or biggest disappointment, and it probably might be yours, so I'm sorry if I'm making you pivot here uh, with you letting me go first, so thank you for that. It's got to be Shea Gilchrist Alexander, um, a guy that we thought was going to take, and not that he hasn't. I want to make that clear as well, but um, we were thinking he was going to take a gigantic leap um, you know, and it kind of looks like he had uh, once he started in the bubble, but since then he's really not—I don't want to say regress—but he certainly hasn't looked comfortable, and he absolutely did not look comfortable at all today. And in fact, he even looked timid. That timidness needs to go away. Um, Chris Paul needs to talk with him, instill some confidence in him. Um, and above all else, I'm just really hoping that this game really just lit a fire and kind of pissed Shea and CP3 off. And I think we're going to see a much more aggressive Shea and CP3 in game two. Uh, I would agree with you. My biggest disappointment was Dennis Schroeder for a guy that should be six men of the year and has been integral to this team. Uh, he just shit the bed tonight. He yep. was really, really bad. Uh, the good thing is I can't remember multiple games in a row where Schroeder played really, really bad. So hopefully he comes back game two. Um a little more decisive uh, and a little more aggressive and not so much of a ball stopper. Cause I did think shooter played good defense tonight. He, he did so. play very good defense. He had some really good plays on Harden specifically. Um, and just, I think the only reason that shooter didn't disappoint me as much as Shea, although I was disappointed by shooter was just simply because he's been gone and it's just, it's going to take a little bit um, to, to get back to game speed. Um, but I think the issue is, is, you know, like we talked about earlier before we transition here, this Thunder team hasn't had all these guys together um, for an extended period in those seeding games. I think we're really starting to see that. Like I said, tonight's game resembled more of an uh, early November game for this team rather than a early March game, right? Yeah, definitely. All right, Taylor. Well, before we get to the positives, we got to take a minute and tell our listeners about our sponsors for the week. Well, guys, one positive is the fact that NFL football is almost back. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL with NFLSundayTicket.tv. You can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and never miss your favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your, your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. From tight muscles, tough workouts, signs of aging, to simply making it through each busy day, everyone understands what it feels like to be tense and sore. God, we know that with all the stress of 2020. So everyone can benefit from TheraOne's CBD products. Started by Dr. Jason Worsland, TheraBody exists to provide you with the best scientifically validated natural solutions to help soothe your body and relax your mind. And we know Thunder fans need a little of both after game one. It started with the revolutionary Theragun percussive therapy device where Dr. Jason saw the benefits of using CBD in his treatments. He created TheraOne to bring you CBD products done right. A lot of CBD products claim organic, but they still contain up to 30% filler. And these fillers are potentially toxic. TheraOne tests their products four times before they get sent to you. And every product is USDA certified, organic, grown in the US, and their CBD extracts are the highest quality available anywhere. So use TheraOne's warming lotion in your morning routine, 
the cooling lotion or massage oil to recover, the body balm for targeted relief, and sleep to drift into a deep night's sleep. And now, through Labor Day, which is coming up soon, Monday, November 7th, TheraOne is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free on all of their products. It's really simple. Buy one, get one free. You just have to go to theragun.com slash bluewire. If you don't love what you get from TheraOne, send it back for a full refund within 30 days of your purchase. This is not something that they're likely to do again, and it's buy one, get one free. So make sure you check it out at theragun.com slash bluewire through Labor Day. Again, theragun.com slash bluewire. All right, Taylor. So we've got some questions from both Twitter and the Boomtown Hoops Discord. So we're going to dive into some of those, which is going to allow you and I to focus on some of our positives. And also some adjustments for game two, right? Yes, definitely. Positives and adjustments. Our first one from Twitter, at LongBoyShay, says, Why no Nader? Is he still still dealing with the arm tingle that Billy previously... Good God, that chick voice <laughs> trying to come up. You got some That Billy going. previously <laughs> mentioned. So you kind of mentioned this just a second ago, Taylor. Yeah, yeah. The, the Nader versus Diallo thing is fascinating. So I don't know if he's still dealing with the arm tingling neck issue nerve thing, which is weird. But what I do know is Hamadou Diallo was fairly ineffective defensively today. And That's on generous. offense, yeah, on <laughs> offense, Houston left him wide open and he airballed back-to-back three-pointers, which was really really bad. And you know what, I don't think he airballed him just because he's, you know, just a, you know, a terrible shooter. It, it just it, he was almost shocked that he was left open or he was almost like uh, uh, felt disrespected that he was wide open and felt like, oh, I have to hit this three now, and just airball. And we see yep. that with Dre. We see that with Terrence Ferguson. Seems so, to be a uh, thunder wing. Yeah, he Diallo was one of four from three, two of six from the field, uh, three rebounds and assist and a turnover and 14 minutes. Ugh. I would be interested if Billy makes the adjustment to allow Abdul Nader, who's been serviceable defensively, to come in and guard somebody uh, like a Daniel House who's not really going to handle the ball. Exactly. And park Nader over there in that corner. That way, when the defense does collapse, you have a knockdown shooter in Abdul Nader who is not afraid. Like that dude, if there's one person who is going to empty the damn clip, it's Abdul Nader. He's going to fire that damn thing like a madman. Exactly. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see Nader maybe get some more minutes. Again, you can hide him kind of on a Daniel House. You could maybe put him on a Robert Covington. Um, you could you could use him maybe on a Ben McLemore and let him chase him off screens or whatever. I don't think Nader is an awful defender. I think he's decent, uh, close to average. But we know that that dude has a flamethrower. And he's not afraid to pull the trigger. And it's kind of seemed like that's what the Thunder needed tonight. Absolutely. I think, you know, I don't want to go too much longer on that. Um, but I I do think that maybe Billy worries a little bit if if Daner was switched on to other defenders. Maybe he'll be targeted uh, when it comes to pick and roll situations via Houston. But like you said, I mean, you just, you need that offense out there. And while one thing that the Thunder kind of seemed to do today was maybe try and uh, when they're trying to play catch up, kind of fell into Houston's trap of, 
falling into a three-point shootout, which is the last thing you want to do with Houston. Um, having a guy like Nader out there just to hit those open shots, which they absolutely will occur, like we saw with Hami, like we saw with Dre today, um, he's going to make those. He's going to make much more than those other two guys I just mentioned did. So I was surprised that we didn't see him at all today, especially with how many guys that uh, Billy played, and that makes me worry that maybe that elbow is still a little, little dinged up. Yep, so we'll see. Uh, next Twitter question from at RealBranXO says, are we reverting back to Billy's iso ball? And if so, why? No, no. It was just, it, it was nothing more than the uh, Houston's defensive scheme that, like I talked about earlier, earlier was very impressive. Um, shout out to Mike D'Antoni and the entire Houston team because I thought they did a great job there. And uh, that combined with some, like I mentioned again earlier in the podcast, I felt like the Thunder kind of had some, uh, some, playoff jitters and just weren't able to get their spots originally to start the game that threw them off their entire rhythm and from there kind of the rest was history so uh, i don't think it was they intended to just play iso ball i think it was because they weren't able to get anything else and they just were completely thrown off their game yeah i would agree with you um i do think to an extent the thunder's identity is iso ball they pass a lot to find the mismatch and attack the mismatch, especially in that three-point guard lineup. That's a good point. And so I, I think that's a little bit part of what they do, but tonight it was not right at all, right? Um, just, just the lack of player movement, the lack of ball movement. I expect the offense to look a lot more engaged in game two. Agreed. Um, from our guy at Hunter Harjo 7 he says, Best ice cream to cure my depression. Bluebell, uh, is it called Hagen, Hagen? Uh, Hagen Doss. I don't know how to pronounce that. I'm not either. German. Uh, we should get Dennis Schroeder to guest on the podcast. He could say it. Ben <laughs> and Jerry's. Ice cream. Yeah, Ben and Jerry's, or maybe go down to Brahms. Taylor, what's your go-to ice cream whenever you're sad? Well, I mean, my go-to ice cream here in Tulsa, we have Andy's frozen and custard, which is just phenomenal. Um, but you can never go wrong with Brahms. And uh, Ben and Jerry's, if you're like in the grocery store and you want a solid ice cream, Ben and Jerry's, 100% the way to go. I'm uh, so I typically don't buy ice cream from the store because then I buy too much and then I eat all of it. Fair. So if I want some ice cream, I just make like a one-stop trip, and you got to go Brahms. And also, yep. I'm going Froyo every time instead of ice cream. Froyo I is superior Froyo. to ice cream. Okay, Jacob, you would love Andy's though. We uh, we got to check Andy's. it out. Yep. My 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 go-to at Brahms uh, get a mix with some Froyo vanilla and some Oreos. Oh man, that's my Ooh. go-to. That Ooh. is my go-to. I love it. Um, all right. At, is it T up 391 What are the biggest adjustments needed for game two, and who gets the Harden assignment if Dort still isn't right? Okay, Jacob, this kind of even leads me to a bigger point that we never got to earlier in the podcast, but it was super strange because Ferguson got the start. He fouled early. He didn't look fantastic. Shooter came in early, like we mentioned. They played the three-point guard lineup. We didn't see Ferguson the rest of the first half. And then Ferguson comes back in the second half to start, and he actually looks quite a bit better. And uh, Billy even gave him some credit at the, during his post game. So I would have to say that he's probably going to go ahead and stick with Ferguson because Ferguson's had experience guarding Harden in the past. And that's, hey, I thought Ferguson guard, guarded Harden really well. I, I thought the, he did the, the initial half. foul, the initial foul was bad. Right, but Fair. I think Ferguson can get through screens. Um, moves his feet well, keeps his arms out wide, doesn't like dig in on that pump fake or try to poke the ball out, plays with his hands showing, right, with with his arms back. Um, Now he's not nearly as big or thick as Dort. I think Dort is the best option on Harden, hands down. 
But I thought Harden, I thought, I mean, I thought Ferguson did a really good job on Harden. The thing is, if Ferguson's going to be out there, he has to be aggressive offensively. And he by did, aggressive, he did shoot twice with no hesitation, which I loved. He made yes. one. The other one was not too far off. That was great. Keep doing. So he's he's got to shoot it when he's open. But by being aggressive offensively, that doesn't mean just fire it up every time you get it. That doesn't mean. Um, drive to the hole every time you get it. It means being what aggressive he did before you got injured, right? Yeah. Being cutting. aggressive offensively means like you're also cutting off the ball. You're moving. You're setting screens. Um you're you're not just parking in the corner and standing still. Amen. Right? You have to make the defense if the ball's not coming to you, you have to make the defense still pay attention to you somehow. And you That's do that by cutting, you do problem. that by screening. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. You, like you can't you can't allow Houston to just guard four guys. Agreed. Now, Even also, if you don't have the ball, a cut means they have to guard you or you have a layup. Sorry. A screen means they have to guard you or you have a layup. Right? Just do things that make them respect you on the offensive end. I interrupted you a ton there only because I got really excited and I remember <laughs> the question I was wanting to ask you before we even started recording. All right, okay, let's do it. it. Uh, unfortunately... I was really excited. In fact, I was so down on Ferguson because of what we've seen since, you know, January essentially from him that I was and then what we saw in the bubble, I was really hoping that we would see uh, Andre Robertson get the start. But we saw him out there on Harden in the first first half in that second quarter and he just it was he's, bad. He's not the same Dre. He's not as quick and as strong as he was. And it's reasonable. Maybe it is just chalked up to nothing more than him just not having that experience, enough experience to get back to where he was. But it almost makes me worry that he's just permanently lost a step. Um, and we kind of saw Billy, again, allude to that in his his postgame uh, presser as well. So I was just kind of curious your thoughts on that um, because I'm with you. After seeing Dre out there, I think I would have to go with Ferguson as well if Dorst's not ready. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. I'm totally with you. Ferguson, 15 minutes tonight. Um, Robertson three minutes, Diallo fourteen minutes. I wouldn't be surprised if if Lou can't go in game two to see Fur get closer to twenty and then trim away those Diallo minutes and maybe just cut Robertson out. Yeah, I would not be surprised by that at all. Not let's surprised. Just, at let's all. just hope Dort's ready to go game two. Yeah, yeah. Let's definitely hope. Um, from at Kieran on the Boomtown Hoops Discord says, this question's probably already been asked, but how do you think we will use Adams and Noel in game two? Will we match the small ball maybe with a Baisley or a Gallo at center? I feel like we've buried the lead. Steven Adams was awesome. He played really, really well. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, I, I thought you just like quit the podcast because no, no, no. I said that. I, I felt so bad. I interrupted you like, 20,000 times on the last question. So I was going to let you have no, this. No, you're good. Adams, 17 points on 7 of 13 shooting. Uh, four offensive rebounds, eight defensive rebounds. So he ended up going 17 and 12 and two assists. I thought early they tried to go into Adams and let him work on those mismatches. And it did work. And then I thought in the second half, Adams had, I think, like six points off offensive rebounds and putbacks. I think you can offset Adams having to guard on the perimeter if he can dominate the glass and if he can dominate those mismatches whenever they switch like an Eric Gordon on him. Adams just has to be like Joel Embiid style aggressive and just put his ass in Eric Gordon's chest, back him down onto the block, demand the ball, turn around and dunk it. It's that simple. Exactly. And unfortunately, we've wanted that from Steven for so long now, right? And he, it's just not his personality, which therefore doesn't trans, translate into his style of play. 
but that doesn't matter. Uh, I think that again relies on your point guards, your leaders, your your SGA, your CP3, and your shooter to find him. Um, and you also have to look for guys like uh, Nerlens and Muskie as well. I think we might see somewhere Muskie in this next game. Nerlens really struggled when it came to fouling, and that's a guy uh, who can afford those fouls. Yeah, but, I'm going to inter- interject there for a second. Some of those fouls were bullshit. Oh, it, 100%. Uh, those first two were clean blocks. Either, right? Yo, uh, w- yes, yes. And Schroeder is talking about another guy who has some BS fouls called. I mean, Harden gets his fouls, and that's what he does, and his team has kind of taken on that persona. Um, Schroeder, a team worse, minus 19 tonight. Oof. Oof. But with all that being said, you just you have to make a point to feed Steven because when you give him the ball, he'll make something happen. Um, but he's not going to be a guy who's calling for it, clapping his hands, doing jumping jacks on the block like a, yeah. uh, you know, whoever. That's not Yeah, it's not his personality, but he's got to adopt a little bit about that Agreed. for this series right? because he can dominate. He can be a 20-20 guy in this series if he wants to. Right. And I think for the Thunder to have a chance in this series, he's going to have to have a 20 and 20 night. Although those backup center minutes between Noel and uh, and Muskie, it'll be really interesting to see how Billy divides those up come game two because I could see him trying to use a little more pick and pop with the point guards in Muscala to create some more offensive options. It's definitely possible. All right, uh, more from Boomtown Hoops Discord hey, channel. we got to answer our guy DFS. We've got to answer him. He said oh. he was going to give our podcast a try, and he sent you a last-minute buzzer beater question. Oh, okay. So I'm going to ask me, you. It was directed to you. Um, okay. We'll both answer. Um, because DFS thinks that and under, he has some valid points, but he feels that the whole Billy for Coach of the Year campaign is very much overrated and is very much due to uh, CP3 and just the team built, the, the way the team's built and their chemistry much more than, I think, Billy Donovan. So he asked, what's the biggest reason that calling Donovan Coach of the Year was laughable and ridiculous? <laughs> I think Donovan does deserve some credit for Coach of the Year, even if he has Chris Paul, who's a great leader, um, you know, at a certain point, development of youth, um, game planning, different things do fall on the coach. So I, I think Donovan uh, has been great. I think Chris has been phenomenal for this team. I think Donovan's been good. Uh, so I, I don't think it's super ridiculous that he got coach of the year. Um, but yeah, I mean, I understand the argument that, you know, a lot of the culture reset came from Chris Paul and he deserves a lot of credit for that. And so if you want to give Chris that credit over Billy, I'm not in the locker room. I can't tell you for sure. So that I think that is a fair argument. Uh, I just think it's a little bit of gray area, a little bit of both. I agree. I think my, my, my counterpoint to DFS on that specific topic is like, okay, you know, you're exactly right, DFS, and what you're saying. Um, but you could say the same thing about Nick Nurse, who is the favorite, right? Because Kyle Lowry has performed so well and really taken on an incredible leadership role, um, even more so than he has in the past. And him leading that team, Fred Van Fleet stepping up, Pascal Siakam continuing to play well. You, know, you could say the same thing about them and Nick Nurse as well. So you kind of have to take all that. Frank Vogels and somebody else is in consideration. I don't really think Frank's done a fantastic job with that team. He just has great talent in LeBron James and AD, right? So it's the same thing. I it, you, you can use that same uh, that same method of thinking with all those other quote-unquote coach of the year candidates as well. Definitely. All right, let's move on to our guy Iku, Iku. From, from Boomtown Hoops who sends us some awesome insights. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase for Iku a little bit. Uh, basically, he said the offense was uncharacteristically bad um, and that p- basically the Thunder typically run offense from Steven in the high post, running screens, dribble handoffs, pin downs, etc. Um, will 
the Thunder uh, adjust to Houston's really switchy defense uh, by utilizing Steven as a playmaker in the high post? Yeah, no, I think that's a, a fantastic uh, question. In fact, I mean, again, the reason we aren't reading, I love EQ because he he sends um, message or sends questions to me individually on Discord. Then he sends them to the group on Discord. Um, but he he basically just gives us a full on analysis and then asks our opinion on his analysis. And this one was inc- not that they aren't always great, but this one was I think spot on because like I said, it was almost like they're playing a zone defense. It wasn't until after the game that I realized that when D'Antoni said it's you know they're man to man, they try to mirror uh, somewhat of a zone almost hybrid kind of defense um but regardless with those kind of defenses you either need to penetrate the middle and then kick out to open shooters because you're creating open shots that way or just like iku said you flash your big to the high post and a player as skilled especially for his size as steven adams with that passing ability why in the hell are you not flashing him to the high post every single play and like iku said if if they know he's getting the ball at the high post then you can switch it up you can have some pick and rolls up at the top of the key and let Chris Paul, Shea, a shooter, um, go off the pick and roll. You dump it to Steven at the high post. It creates for others again because of his passing ability. Like you said, Jacob, you have guys cutting back door, um, uh, even if it, if they aren't open from three or if you don't feel comfortable with Hami or um, Ferguson or whoever shooting that three-point shot, right? There's so many options. It creates so much more offense, and uh, I just... I don't know why they didn't try it. And uh, I guess the reason I'm so fired up about that question is because EQ hit it spot on. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you on that. Uh, I think it's an interesting idea. The other thing when teams uh, just aggressively switch pick and rolls is that there's two ways to attack a switching defense. Way number one is you, you call up the screener on whoever has the defender that you want to exploit you get that switch, and then you attack the mismatch. So if that's getting a small on Adams, if that's getting a big on Chris Paul, um, it seems like exactly. in this case, Houston has a lot of perimeter defenders, so your best matchup is trying to get a smaller guy on Steven Adams and then let the guard either attack and just get the ball up on the rim so Adams can feast on the offensive glass, or you just throw it down in the post. That's option number one. Option number two on a switching defense is, it's a lot. It's hard to describe this part in a podcast because you can't see. But if Chris Paul has the ball at the top of the key, and Adams comes up on Chris Paul's left, yeah, right. Chris Paul goes left to go around the Adams screen. The guy that Adams is screening is now on Adams' chest and and has to sink back around Adams to get underneath him and get between right, him and the. Because you're not going over Stephen on a screen, exactly. So, yeah, and, and when when they switch, right, I mean, you're not even trying to get over. It's just as soon as you hit sure. the screen, you stay with that man. Well, the thing that happens there is Adams screens, Chris goes to the left. That means Adams is closer to Chris than his defender is, and Adams has the ability to seal that man while he rolls rolls to the rim. Or what you do is you slip the screen. So right when the man, right when Chris Paul's man is about to hit Steven Adams' screen— Steven Adams pulls out of the screen and rolls straight to the hoop. Then there's some miscommunication defensively, and they both go to the ball. And then if you just throw a – Yeah, and then either you have a wide open three or you have a lob. So I wouldn't be surprised to see the Thunder be a lot more aggressive in their pick-and-roll game to either try to get Adams or anyone who screens to get a seal 
on their roll to the rim and just seal off their man or a lot of screen slipping to try to confuse that man-to-man switching defense uh, into making the wrong call. And right, we'll- The whole point of a, a pick and roll is to make the defense make the wrong call. I think what worries me is this just, you know, if you have guys like PJ Tucker or Robert Covington who are quote unquote playing center for the Rockets, Steven's not quick enough defensively to be able to get out there and guard those three point corner shots that they're just drilling like they were today. Then you have to throw in other guys um, that are more capable of doing that. Nader's not, qu- or sorry, Nader, goodness. Nerlens is not quite as uh, great in the pick and roll situation where. Muskie provides you much more uh, ability offensively because he can do the pick and pop. Like you said, instead of rolling to the basket like that, which he can do, he can just pop out to the three-point line. You either have an open shot for the ball handler, you have an open shot for Muskie, um, and you're going to take that either time. But what worries me is just which one of those three centers can go out and contest open three-point shots, or when they come out, you know, they can drop their hips, they can slide their feet, and they can contain that uh, dribble, that, that the drive off the, the, the dribble. Um, Definitely. And and I think that we mentioned this earlier, the Thunder are going to have to rotate a lot better defensively. And that's going to include bigs closing out hard on shooters and then hustling back to rotate to get back in the defensive play. Just Jake, that simple. That might have been the longest we've ever gone, like analytical, in-depth basketball yeah, no breakdown shit. I love podcast. It. I'm so proud of us. <laughs> I love it. Um, EQ's second question, he says his other observation is Shea's lack of involvement and aggression. Uh, bottom line, he thinks Shea has to be more aggressive attacking downhill, but Donovan has to help him out with screening actions, uh, maybe even double screens where the screener goes and sets a pin down gets a switch, and then comes up and screens for Shea. He asks um, what we think of that adjustment, uh, and could it apply also to Dennis and CP3? So, uh, Taylor, let me start off by saying Shea did not play well. Shea is still a very good basketball player, and I saw things in the second half where he was more aggressive. He did get going downhill, attacking the hoop, and then had kickouts. I would like to see Shea be a little more selfish and aggressive because we know how slithery he can be down there and how he's been drawing more fouls. I would like to see when he gets downhill, get to the damn hoop and put the ball up, right? Hit that floater, hit that scoop shot high off the glass. And then when the defense starts collapsing, I feel like in the bubble, everyone's saying Shea's had an awful bubble. I don't think Shea's had an awful bubble so experience. Right. He Has he made all of his shots? No, his percentages don't look great. But I think he's 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 even mentioned the game is slowing for him. He's seeing the court and reading the court better. If Shea can get going early going downhill, I think that's going to open up a lot of opportunities for him to play make once he gets downhill. And I do think that him playing off screens, he's learned enough from Chris Paul. He's good enough at it that I think he can play off screens pretty well and get moving with those long strides and those long arms and make plays at the rim. Absolutely. And that's what we want to see from him. He can do that against the best of the best. Um, Zach Lowe's, I think it was Zach, and I apologize if it wasn't. It was either him or St. Vecini who talked about his first step. It's not the quickest or most explosive first step when you think of first steps, right? Like Dennis Schroeder, for example, um, or Russell Westbrook is probably the most obvious example. Like you said, Jacob, it's the amount of ground he's able to cover with those long, powerful strides. And he's just so silky and smooth when he does that. So all that to say, like, there's not anybody who can stop that. Uh, he just seemed very timid out there, almost like he was trying to take it all in. And um, I, I think he's a little concerned about trying to, to balance his scoring and his abilities to get to the rim and be aggressive with getting others involved. And we saw him kind of try and find that balance 
during those bubble games. That's why some people, including myself, thought he wasn't nearly as aggressive or he wasn't scoring as much as he did during the regular season because it very much seemed to me that he was like, okay, I can get to the rim whenever I want to now. I understand this. Now I need to make sure I do that to open up and create for others. But he's he's got to realize, like, this is the playoffs, man. You've got to, when there's no offense being generated, go for it. <laughs> go draw yeah. fouls. Get to the line. I, I did think he was very passive uh, a lot of times. I, I just talked about Ferguson needing to be more of an offensive threat just by cutting and stuff. Shea needs to do the same because when Shea didn't have the ball, he was standing 30 feet away from the rim, just kind of standing out there. That's not acceptable. He's got to be more aggressive. He's got to shoot more. Um, And I think we'll see that. I don't think Shea's the guy that's going to go in his shell. Uh, We saw how good he was in the playoffs last year. I'm not worried about Shea. I think he's going to be fine. Hey, you know a guy who who doesn't hesitate to shoot the three when he's open and – uh. It's always moving off ball. It's very active and also happens to be a really good defender. Lou Dort. Hey, yeah, yeah. Hopefully he's back. Let's and get him back. So, Taylor, let's – so we're going to let our listeners go because we, we said we were going to podcast for 30 minutes and now it's <laughs> And then 50. Jacob and I recorded and so you guys should have known. Yeah, like no shit, no half. shit. <laughs> so let's leave our listeners uh, with two things. Number one, hit me with one thing you were encouraged from from this game. Oh, Okay. And number two, leave us with one thing that if the Thunder adjust this one thing, they will win game two. Oh, that's, that second one's tough. The first one, I actually had a list of these. I think I had four because I was tweeting from the account today. So be sure to go in and look that up because those four I actually thought were pretty uh, positive. Um, hey, uh, you and I also did a halftime periscope, oh, which we're going to try too. to do again. And you guys, I don't like, know if you and I can. That was out of the can... blue. I didn't even tweet about that. And we had like 50 people joining like a minute and a half. That was awesome. Yeah, so it was pretty we'll, pretty we'll sweet. So uh, we'll try to do it on Thursday. I don't know if it'll be Taylor and I because Taylor will be at work. Uh, I'm thinking about taking some personal time. and just I'm going to try to also. We'll see how it works. Okay, I, uh, if, we, if you do. We'll with that... some friends at work, see if we can. Regardless, <laughs> we will have somebody on the halftime periscope at the underscore uncontested on Twitter. And I think Justin's tweeting two. from that game, so he'll at least be be active. Uh, but all that yes. to say, um, I think you know one thing that stood out to me was the fact that I don't think Houston is going to be like they were in the first half, where guys outside of Harden are just knocking down all the different three pointers. What worries me is this: is if uh, Russ is able to go game two because it's a whole new ball game, and you're trying to gauge that entire team almost like it's game one all over again. Um, so that kind of worries me. But with that being said, one positive was the fact that I don't think guys outside uh, Jeff Green's not going to have twenty plus points for the entire series. And if he does, then so be it. You know, what I mean, like it, you might as well start your hands up. Um, the other thing, though, that I think the most important thing is Gallo. He wasn't hitting his outside shots like crazy, like we've seen throughout the entirety of the season. But he still had twenty plus points because he's driving to the rim, being aggressive, and getting fouls. And that's something you can continue to do. And when he's doing that, was that what's going to happen if? And, and I should say when his other players are stepping up, he's going to be able to hit those outside shots, and it's going to open a three-point shot for him again. And uh, we're going to see Gallo continue to be able to score, whether he's driving to the uh, to the line, drawing fouls, or whether he's shooting outside shots. So um, I think that is the most optimistic thing for me, was seeing Gallo and how aggressive he was and great he was, as well as Steven. Steven should be mentioned there as well, but I won't go into depth on him. Uh, but the one thing the Thunder need to what, what, what were you saying? The one thing that I was... The, the one thing that if they change, they'll win game two. If they change. Um, man, I... I mean, it, it, like you said, it's just it kind of comes down to just play your act, play the game you played for so long uh, throughout this entirety of the season. But I think specifically is you you need your point guards to show up, and they they need to be aggressive, and uh, they need to look for their shot first, which will then create for others. 
and they just be mindful of that. Um, but they've got to be aggressive. I think that's, that's all I got there. Nice. Okay. So my positive is Darius Baisley, nine points, nine rebounds in 17 him. minutes. Great point. Three of five from the floor, three of four from three. Uh, was only a minus four on the night. Played, and I, I just said this, played 17 minutes. I think Baisley is an interesting matchup guy that you can throw out there on Daniel House. You can throw out there on Jeff Green. Maybe the Thunder, I don't think the Thunder are going to go full-time small and match the Rockets, but I think there's spurts where they can. And we've already seen D- Baisley play the five. Uh, he, We know that he's been good defending guards and forwards. I think Baisley, if if he can keep his confidence up, keep the stroke going, I think there's a chance he can make an impact in this series. So I was really excited for Baisley. And the one thing the Thunder need to change in order to win game two, the offense will figure itself out. And you don't want the offense to be really great and get in a shootout with the Rockets. The The defense has to solidify. And for me, the biggest thing is the rotations, the hustle, the, the rotations have to be better, which comes from hustle and communication. Whenever somebody drives, you always have to rotate to protect the rim. But whenever the kickout comes, everybody has to be able to hustle and rotate to close out to these shooters, even if they get a semi-contested three. That's better than an open three. You know the game that sticks out to me as soon as you said that? was the last what? official regular season game that the Thunder played before the hiatus against the Boston Celtics. Yeah. That's when we saw Schroeder at his best defensively, and that just helped that team tremendously. That's why that three-point guard lineup works. Um, but exactly. Also, I, mean, I, want, I want to see this team hustling their ass on every defensive possession, rotating, 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 uh, and closing out to shooters. And even if you close out hard and the shooter drives by you, somebody rotates to stop him, and then he kicks out, and somebody else is busting their ass to and contest then that Green shot. And doesn't have a wide-open three in the corner. Exactly. I mean, it, it, he's, it, he might be open. Semi-open. Don't let it be wide open. So, Jacob, I could talk to you another 30 minutes about some of the subplot, subplots, but you mentioned Darius Baisley, right? Um, what if they do the opposite of going small? We talked about Darius Baisley as center to you know to, to counteract the, the small ball of the Rockets. What if the Thunder just go big? And what I mean by that is I, actually one of the announcers I listened to on TNT accidentally uh, called Gallinari Mascala when Nerlens was in. So I started freaking out thinking that uh, – that Billy has had counteracted the small ball rockets with Gala or sorry, with um, Mascala and Nerlens, right? <laughs> what if you do that with like, you know, I mean, you have Baisley and you have Mascala or whoever else. Like, I think there's a lot of options there. Right? I just found it intriguing. It's, it's going to be interesting. I'm excited to see kind of the tweaks for game two, but I think the biggest thing is play better. Yeah. Again, it's so simple, but it's so true right? Rotate harder, move the ball, play your game, just be better at what you did. We saw this, the same mindset when the Thunder got absolutely torched by the Spurs in round two in 2016, whenever LaMarcus Aldridge went for like 50 and they came back and they just played better game two. Everyone said, Donovan, what are you going to do to slow down Aldridge? How are you going to change stuff? And he said, I'm not, we just got to play better. I think it's the same thing here. Great analogy. All right. Well, Taylor, We went for way too long. (laughs) We hope you guys got a little bit of hope and a little bit of optimism from this pod because we know playoff overreactions can be overwhelming. Thank you guys so much for checking out The Uncontested. We will be back with you again Thursday at 2.30 for Game 2. Justin will be over at the underscore uncontested on Twitter. We'll have our post-game podcast for you. 
and we will also have a halftime periscope. Make sure you check out boomtownhoops.com for all your Thunder wants and needs, all your coverage from this series. They're also doing post-game periscope videos, which are awesome, so check those out as well. And join the Discord to chat during games and in between games. You guys have a great Wednesday and Thursday. We will be back with you in less than 48 hours. Until then, stay optimistic. It only it takes four games to win a series. This was only one. Can't win a game seven unless you lose three beforehand. Thunder up. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.